Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Who is the church CEO? A, the biggest tither, B, the senior pastor, or C, the hip young elder? Carl, Amy, and Todd are here to clear up the confusion about the church offices with particular focus on the elder and what happens when conflict rises between them. This and more on this week's Mortification of Spin. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. Today we want to talk about a topic that I think will become more and more important as the years go by. I've said before that the days of the, the big conservative churches with a large well-paid staff and a couple of full-time pastors are probably coming to an end. Uh, it came to an end in Western Europe, I think, many, many moons ago, starting to come to an end in the United States. And one of the things that that is going to require is a certain rethinking of biblical church governance, not a rethinking of the basic biblical principles of church governance, but a rethinking of the roles or the the tasks that are ascribed to different church officers. Specifically, I'm thinking in this context of the elders who are also those who preach. Uh, If you're a two-office person, we see them as an elder who has a teaching task. Or if you're a three-office person, uh, the minister of the word, how the task of the elder in charge of preaching lines up with the task of the elder who is primarily, we would now describe, I suppose, as as non-stipendary elder, what has typically been sometimes wrongly described as a a lay elder. Of course, Mm -hmm. elders are ordained. Uh, How the, the elder's position is likely to change in the coming generation and what that means for the relationship between the the teaching elder and the the ruling elder. Mm -hmm. Todd, any thoughts on that particular topic? Yeah, actually, the first thing that leapt to my mind was it's about 10.35 a.m., and I've already used the word non-stipendary about five times. So, yeah, so thanks for that, Carl. (laughs) Um, You've added a word to my... um, to my lexicon. No, I think, um, how do they do it in the OPC? I mean, in, in the um, PCA, we have uh, elders and deacons, and then, uh, so two offices. Yep. But among the elders, we have teaching and ruling elders. Same thing in the OPC, correct? Yeah, the OPC, we're somewhat ambiguous on two or three office. Okay. Some of us regard that distinction as quite a specious one anyway, right. because even two office people generally would not allow a teaching, a ruling elder to baptize right. or, or administer the Lord's Supper. Right. So we, we sort of, we have both two and three office people, but practically it comes down to the same thing. Yeah, and I would say the same thing in the PCA. We, we're two offices, but very practically it, it ends up being um, three offices. So one of the things I had to think through in in becoming a Presbyterian was uh, th- this category of church power. Uh, which was a strange concept for me coming out of a Southern Baptist background, congregational background, um, autonomous church, uh, because any notion of, of church power, putting those terms together, would, would you would just tend to run from that as some sort of a Roman Catholic aberration. But the fact is the church does um, wield some sort of power. Now, obviously, um, at the behest of Jesus and under the lordship of Jesus, but but we have to deal with the fact that 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 one of the ways that Jesus leads his church is by delegating a certain amount of power, if you like, um, to the officers of the church who are accountable also to the church. And I was teaching a class on this 
during the Sunday school hour, the last several weeks on church polity and church governance, that is. And um, one of the things that, that I tried to make clear was that um, the, the office of elder is for the protection of uh, the church, but it's also one of the strangest and most difficult to pin down forms of leadership because we are leading um, with the permission of those we lead. Um, which, which is difficult. Ultimately, the leader has nothing to hold over the head of a church member. We can't cut their pay. We can't fire them. Now you can get into issues of church discipline, but you know what I mean? We, we, we lead those who allow us, um, to lead them. And so it's a very difficult, um, task and requires, uh, certain qualities. And so that's why we're thankful for, for instance, what, what Paul writes in, in first Timothy chapter three and in Titus, um, chapter one about the kind of character that is required of a man. He's got to be able to have a certain level of wisdom to lead um, in, a, in, a, in a pretty unique sort. It's not like corporate leadership. It's not like leadership at a country club. It's, there's nothing else quite like it. Yeah. Well, I know one thing for me, coming from the background that I was raised in in the Baptist church, I had a lot of questions um, coming to the Presbyterian church for the first time because I was used to um, if you had a question, theological or something to do with the leadership in the church, you just go directly to the pastor. Mm-hmm. And so here's the question. What can lay people expect, you know, if they're new to the Presbyterian church, what is it that they should expect from the elders as, as their role mm-hmm. in the relationship with them? That's a very good question. I think one of the first things that, that all churches should do is offer some kind of membership class to people mm-hmm. coming in. Uh, we at Cornerstone have a one-day membership class for people, and we allow no exceptions mm-hmm. because I don't want to get as pastor into the game of saying, well, you don't need to take the class, mm-hmm. but you do. So everybody coming into membership, even if they're transferring from another Presbyterian church, yeah, we just went through has, that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has to take the one-day class. And I think as part of that class, what, what should be done is the, the, congregation, the, the potential member should be taught about the office of elder that there is a parity of office among the elders. Yes, there's the pastor, and people naturally tend to to think of the pastor as the chief executive, if mm-hmm. you like, and, and the elders as his assistants, but that's not the case biblically. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a parity of office there. And the other thing we, we do at Cornerstone is we assign, all members are assigned to a particular elder, and we encourage people to, to go to their elder with their problems initially. Mm-hmm. rather than come straight to the pastor. There's nothing stopping them going straight to the pastor or going to an elder they're not assigned to, but we try to cultivate a culture where people will go to their assigned elder with their, well, whatever problem it is. And often the elder, if, if it's a diaconal problem, if it's something to do with, with lack of finance, struggling to pay bills, their elder would make a decision to refer them to the deacons. Uh, but we, we try to teach people to expect the elder is the person who is looking after your spiritual well-being. And I think that goes to the heart of what Paul is writing to Timothy. Some people, of course, take Paul's instructions on elders in the pastoral epistles to be uh, a piece of occasional advice because there are specific problems mm-hmm. in, in Ephesus and, and Crete. But actually, Second Timothy chapter 3 talks about the, you know, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then there's the punchline, having the appearance of godliness.
us but denying its power. In other words, Paul is writing there about people in the church. And it's that context in which he's calling for the appointment of elders. So the elders are there to protect the spiritual health and safety of the congregation as a whole and of individual members of that congregation where necessary from other members of the congregation. I think we we need to positively teach people that Mm -hmm. because for things that Todd's already alluded to, imaginations are are often captured by business models Mm -hmm. or models from the wider culture. Actually, the elder has a specific task as defined by Scripture that does not have a precise analog in the right. in the secular world. Yeah, because when it comes to the issue of church power, again, you're talking about something that is spiritual in nature. Right. And so um, it's it's a it's a very limited sort of power. We we don't have the power to bind the consciences of men and women uh, beyond what is specifically um, outlined in Scripture, and that's why we can't do things like, well, you have to do this sort of schooling with your children and not another, because we don't have biblical warrant. Um, uh, to do that, and for those that are that are listening that aren't aren't aware of what we're talking about as far as uh, uh, the distinction among elders, what we we hold that there are two kinds of elders: ruling elders and teaching elders. Teaching elders are those who have formal training; they've been ordained, and they're they're entrusted with with the preaching ministries of the church. The ruling elders are typically um, uh, laymen. Um, who have uh, been identified by the church as men that possess uh, the qualities necessary of being an elder. And um, they have all of the responsibilities of, of an elder, save, you know, typically save um, uh, preaching. But as Paul said, I, or as I almost I called you Paul. As, um, as You're not the first person. As Truman, <laughs> we'll as, let it pass. Yeah, exactly. As Truman said, uh, there, there, there's parity, though. Um, I don't sit at the head of the table. Um, we we have uh, so to speak a, a round table, and that's hard for I think a lot of people to understand. I was I was yeah. in a coffee shop with a local pastor recently, who has a a non denominational evangelical church, and uh, he's the senior pastor, and man, he leads that thing. But he's also thought you know having elders might might be a good idea. So he was asking me about this, and we spent about an hour talking, and he he kept wanting to understand the relationship I have with the rest of the elders. So he kept saying, okay, so they're all elders, but you're above them, right? And I kept saying, no, I'm not. Well, yeah, but, but you, but you tell them this is how it, you know, how the church is going to No, I don't do that. And he could not understand the concept of a, a round table, if you like, of, of elders where, where I don't sit at the head of the boardroom. Neither can Carl. I mean, look at this right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that raises an interesting question, Todd. What if, uh, you know, you're the full-time guy. Right. You're the guy who gets the salary. Um, you have a degree from somewhere. I Some believe. Baptist seminary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unaccredited uh-huh. basement yeah. seminary. They, they, you have this thing you printed and put on your uh-huh. wall. Uh-huh. And was it 60 Sold bucks a and a like stamped addressed envelope? Yeah, yeah. I got but, it from uh, Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It came yeah, with that's, a that's an ethnically insensitive comment, actually. We, we do apologize to our large Tasmanian audience. No, <laughs> no offense was intended by that. Uh, but you have, you know, one of your elders mm-hmm. turns around and says, I think your preaching is defective in mm-hmm. this particular way. Or I think the thing you've been teaching on this point right. is wrong. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, just the way you've been behaving in certain ways is right. wrong. Right. There's a great temptation, of course, in any in any situation like that to, even if there's no formal hierarchy, to pull an informal mm-hmm. hierarchy. Well, hang on a minute. 
I am the guy who right. sat under Greg Beale in right. class. How right. dare you question my interpretation of the, the book of Revelation? Right. How do you resist that? How does Well, how, you don't. How, you how indulge do you that. that. You indulge that. Fully. I thought, I thought until you, you shame might. them. I thought you might do that, yeah. Um, and then you fire the elder. If, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I've, I've seen, I've seen an, uh, uh, an elder council, an elder session um, operate in a very unhealthy way, but I've also seen a, a, a session operate in a very, very healthy way. Mm. And and trust is a huge, huge issue. So I'm I'm fortunate enough to serve on a church where there's a high level of trust among the members of the session. And so in in my time now that I've been at Covenant Presbyterian these last several years, uh, we have had occasion where we've disagreed with one another over some things. We've some decisions have come down to a vote because we had to because there was a difference of opinion. And all I can say is that I'm, I'm in a situation now where God has been gracious enough to allow us to have men on the session who um, agree with every word you say. Agree with everything I say. <laughs> they gotcha, are brilliant. Gotcha. I see no, where this is heading. No, where there is enough trust um, that if one of those men on the session where I am serving uh, said, wow, I disagree with this. Help me understand that. We, we would be able to have a a good conversation about it. But, but I understand that that's not necessarily uh, the rule yeah, yeah. Um, everywhere. Um, so I, I, I think first of all, a, a pastor, a teaching elder has to be humble enough to know that uh, there are a lot of very smart ruling elders out there mm. who are godly and, and who understand a lot about the scriptures. And, and he needs to, to, to at least accept the possibility uh, that, that one of them, uh, might might have his number in some area. Might be able to say so. So a pastor's a teaching elder has to be humble enough to to receive that, um, and and you also hopefully have a process in place where you select ruling elders um, that are able to weed out guys who are just simply contrarians. Mm. Um, so I, I think both things are at work. The, the process we have, for instance, at the church I serve, it's a year-long process. You're, you're nominated from the congregation, and you go through a six-month process before you're officially considered a candidate. Mm. Um, and then the second six months, the guys who have actually then made the step into being a candidate go through another six months of training, shadowing elders, that kind of thing. Uh, before Sleep the deprivation, se- exactly. <laughs> before well. before the session, it's a lot to go on. through when you're also working a full time job and have a family. Exactly, and exactly. A huge calling. Yep, yep. And so, uh, you know, with the church I serve, it, it there's been times where where they've had you know, forty candidates and two guys actually end up being on the session from that. Not because the other men were bad; most of them ended up. <laughs> Deselecting themselves, it's just like because the Navy SEALs. Because, yeah. it is, it's it's yeah. sort of like that. We we yeah. uh, uh, they're trained in combat and that kind of thing. But but they uh, they end up deselecting themselves because they see he's a three pull up minimum. That's how he keeps the women out of the elders. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's it's hard. It's hard work. It's hard work. Um, but but anyway, I, I think this is an area as far as conflict goes. This is an area where the teaching elders might have to to take the lead in demonstrating humility because of the fact that if they're not careful, they can be most susceptible to pride because they're teaching elders. And I I think what you need to do is work on a culture. You need to always think, what are the potential problems that might happen, such as Mm -hmm. being challenged by a ruling elder? And during the good times, develop a culture where when that thing comes up, it's not going to be a problem. 
Right. I remember when I was dean at Westminster, one of the things they instituted, we had some troubles in, in, in sort of 2007, 2008. But huh, never heard one, of those. Of those, one of the things <laughs> I did during that time was there'd been very little contact between previous deans and students. Mm-hmm. So I instituted a Wednesday meeting with open house for students, which ultimately became very successful. And it, it provided students with an, an outlet to come and speak to me without it appearing to be a crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think as a... Uh, as a minister, if you can cultivate a culture where there is just friendship and right. natural communication between right. elders during good times, then you develop the kind of culture where when a crisis comes up, right. an elder can raise the issue with you without it immediately being uh, a fist fight. Exactly. And so I would, I would really challenge pastors, teaching elders, to be spending time with the ruling elders in their church. Yeah, yeah. Go out to lunch with them. Get in small groups with them communicate regularly with them and encourage them. One of the things that that has been very, very um, encouraging to me is the amount of time the ruling elders at my church dedicate to the health of our church. Mm -hmm. And so I I try to tell them frequently how much I appreciate them because I really do. I find myself thinking about them a lot and, and, and the love, the evident love they have for the church. So, so I, I, there, there, there is a a bond of affection between us. There's a lot of trust, and um, I, I think that's where the pastor of a church has an, you know, I think the responsibility is weighted in his direction to help develop that. Amy, as a, a lay person, mm-hmm. what are your expectations of the ruling elders in church? Well, going back to what you said about being assigned families. Um, I've thought a lot about that um, because my beginning years as a Presbyterian, I didn't even know that. I had an mm-hmm. assigned elder and I didn't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's important to inf- to make sure the, the lay people, the congregation are informed about who their assigned mm-hmm. elder is. And, and then maybe um, learning about what, what exactly it is that they are there for, for mm-hmm. you. Like, are, are they regularly praying for your family? At first, you know, going into the Presbyterian Church, I thought, okay, well, it's it's basically about voting. You know, they have their session meetings, they're making decisions, they all get an equal vote. And um, when I saw this relational aspect, I really appreciated that, and it, it kind of helped to see, okay, well, this is the person that, that our family could maybe depend on first. If And then you don't put so much on the pastor's back as well. But um, in line with that, wondering how you can set up a way for them to, and, and thinking, Todd, you've got what a thousand people in your mega church, right? And then um, Carl's mega OPC church is <laughs> under two hundred people. So, how is yeah, that different? Like the mad woman in the attic that Yeah, I mean, you might have some high maintenance <laughs> congregants that soak up your time, but um, yeah. as far as um, you know, how many families would your elders be assigned to? Do right. they do that in your church? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah, we do that. I and, mean, that sounds overwhelming get, then. It is, but we, I mean, in, in that way, um, we, we partner with the deacons who okay. are incredibly helpful. Um, do you have an app as well, an elder? <laughs> we, <laughs> just, you know, ask questions, no. live chat elder. with them or no, something. No, yeah, we no. don't. We do not have an elder app. No. But, but um, <laughs> I can see the wheels turning. He's got <laughs> the idea. I'm thinking about it. Thinking it's about only it. six no, months away now. Yeah, yeah. But no, we, we um, so, so the, the deacons have been extraordinarily helpful. In, in partnering with uh, the session in helping to do congregational care. Plus, we're fortunate enough, um, one of our ruling elders is also full-time on our staff as congregational care person, and he really helps 
I mean, that's what he does full time is coordinates care for the people in our church. And it's very, very helpful. Um, now, Carl. He also has a pastor for offshore investments and this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh... You know, what's so funny about this is that my home church in Houston, I, I think they're around, you know, uh, eight, eight or 9,000. Yeah. You know, this is, I'm, yeah. I'm in a small church. I, I grew up in Houston, Texas. I'm, we have a thousand people. That's a small church. Yeah. yeah Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I understand. Hard, yeah. My next question is related, and that is how hard is it to find good elders? And how does it's that hard. nomination process work? Yeah. And how many do you think ratio wise right. that a church needs? We're undermanned right now. I mean, we really are. Um, we, we need we need some more guys. Um, but so, so the way it works is that um, our book of church order mandates every I forget, maybe every two years or every three years you have to you know at minimum you have to to call for for officer nominations from the congregation. So the congregation nominates whoever they would like to. Now you give them instruction. You remind them of what the qualifications are. And then the session uh, meets and begins to go over those nominations. You have to tell everyone who's nominated. You know, the session can't just kind of decide, uh, let, let's just not tell this guy. You know, you inform everybody. And then we we have a pretty rigorous process. Uh, and it ought to be. Um, uh, it, it requires a lot of time of the guys. They have to take a couple of classes. Um, they have to be at meetings and begin to do some of the work even before they're voted on to see how they do in visits and um, how they do in a hospital visit, how they, how they respond to certain crises situations that we need. And then the other big thing we look for is, you know, is, is this, does this person function well as a member of a team? Um, If you're a maverick, that's typically not a good personality trait for an elder. You um, need somebody who's willing to assume that when the vote goes against them, yep. they will still support it. The exactly. most problematic elders are those who, when the session decides something, they go rogue. Right. Because you need you need confidentiality Absolutely. in the session. And you need people who present a common front to the congregation. Otherwise, the minister is utterly subverted. Right. And that's that's one, I mean, one of my key... Um, principles in looking for elders is we just can't have a maverick mm. at, at uh, you know uh, un- unless you know that's your tendency and, and the Lord is sanctifying you in that um, you just can't have a maverick uh, you have to understand that Presbyterianism um, is going to if you're a maverick it's going to frustrate you because it's not going as fast as you like and if you're a maverick you tend to think well if you're not thinking like me you're dumb just let me handle this thing I'll cowboy this thing and get it done that that man can't be at the table Here's another question. Does a pastor have, so you're, you know, you're talking about how the votes are equal and mm-hmm. there's no hierarchy there, right. but does the pastor have more of a vision casting role or a shepherding role sure. in the church than vision the elders? Vision casting. That's yeah. like journey. Carl, I know. Yes. I had to bring in, in, in the Carl, vision casting. In Carl's casting. journey. In Carl's journey. My journey, I've cast many a vision. Yeah. I'm um, sure you have. So, so what, what our ruling elders at Covenant do really, really well is that they show a certain level of deference to the teaching elders in regard to certain responsibilities. But but the teaching elders, we do the exact same thing with the ruling elders. There are certain things that myself and the other teaching elders know that, that the ruling elders are better at than we are. And we show them deference in, in certain things. Now, again, that's kind of gossamer. I mean, it's thin. It's, it's easily broken, I think, in some contexts. But by God's grace, it's working really well. In, in the church I'm serving, but, but that requires some humility. It requires the teaching elders to say, you know what? These guys are smarter than I am on these issues and I'm going to show them a little deference. And it requires that the ruling elders 
not be obstinate, but go, yeah, you know, he spent those extra years in school and he studies every week for a reason. That doesn't mean I'm giving him carte blanche, but I'm going to show him a little deference in that area. You don't have the right to perpetual opposition. Right. I like Charles Hodges' uh, comments about General Assembly decisions, that you know, once a decision's taken, you can wholeheartedly support, passively submit, or peaceably withdraw. Yes. It's those who will neither passively submit nor peaceably withdraw that become a problem. Right. right. Become a problem. Because there are certain congregants that if they smell, if they smell division on session, they will exploit it. Right. They will exploit it. Yep. Yep. And that's where that's where a session has to be strong enough to, to, to if they realize they've got a man who's causing problems because it happens um, that they'll or a woman could be a woman causing problems, <laughs> not looking at any women in particular. In the room if, if you have a member of the session, if you have a member of the session um, who is causing problems, mm-hmm. then the rest of the session has to be willing to say, even if it's my buddy, the rest of the session has to be willing to say, brother, your conduct yeah. is hurting the session. And either there needs to be repentance or, or you need to step out of that role. Because, because one maverick, one naysayer, one obstinate person on the session um, will poison the whole lot. And you can't have that. Well, that was another question of mine. The office of elder, is that a permanent thing? If someone says, you know what, my life's too busy now or there's too, mi- too yeah. much conflict right now, this is stressing we, me out, yeah. um, can they step down and just become back to a regular yeah, absolutely. Now, now we, I don't know what you do at Car- at Cornerstone, Carl, but we, we have um, a sabbatical that the guys kind of rotate around and, and every, I don't know how many years, they, they get a sabbatical um, and then come back on. They, they don't stop being an elder at that point. They just are temporarily allowed to step out of the function. Um, and, and that's been helpful, I think, for the guys. Yeah, we could. I mean, so we don't have a formal setup like that, but certainly mm-hmm. stepping down temporarily. Yep. Or stepping aside temporarily, or demitting the you know, like, as with the minister, you can demit the office mm-hmm. if if you cease to be qualified, or if you know, I can imagine a situation where you know, tragically, an elder finds that one of his children is seriously ill, or his wife seriously, ill, or something, and he's just not feasible for him to be an elder. It would be an honourable thing to to to, yeah. to to retire, step down at that the, point. The other thing that's helpful about the sabbatical deal, and I think it's every three years, is that. The, when the guys step back on, they have to be voted on again, not as an elder, but but voted to by the congregation to, to step back into their responsibilities, which I think is really helpful because it's almost mm-hmm. like a a periodic review. The other thing that happens, you see, I disagree with that, but that's, that's all right that's for another program. But this is this is the other thing that I found <laughs> it, really it helpful. hamstrings your power because you may have as an elder have to take a decision that the congregation really don't like, but you got to take it because you're an elder. True, and they should not have the power then just to pop you. I'll take that back to our session and have them think through that. But the, the other thing is that, is that, is that you, you, you sit back – when you're ready to come back on, after your sabbatical is over, you sit down with the session and you go through an interview process again yeah. where they ask you the very same kinds of personal character issues yeah. that you asked when you were first ordained as a ruling elder, which I think is great. And, and it gives a guy, if he needs to, an honorable way to just kind of say, you know what, I'm not where I was or, or something like that. But it also gives the session an opportunity yeah. to say – you know what, this might be a great opportunity for you to kind of step out of the office if you have to. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That could be awkward. Yeah, it could be. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I hope this program was helpful for those who are serving as elders in the church, but then also those of us who are lay people just wanting to know more about this church office. Be sure to check out our website, mortificationofspin.org, and we'll talk to you next time.
good leader. Is a mighty good leader. Is a mighty good leader. All the way, all the way, Lord, from up to heaven. Is a mighty good leader. All the way. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. There are many leaders who are responsible for harming God's people and leading them away from God. Leaders have a great responsibility that they must use wisely. This is why we're offering a message this week by Dr. James Boyce called Curse on the Clergy. Go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, to listen to Curse on the Clergy. And come back next time when we get a little lesson on church history. Carl, um, is there any value to what you do? Is there any value to what you studied (laughs) and what you teach and what you write about? Or is it really just kind of a big con job in order for you to, you know, have a cushy living? Nobody pops out of the womb as a self-creating human being. We are all shaped by the environment in which we live. We are all shaped by the organizations we join, by the people we connect with. We're part of an ongoing history. And understanding that history is is liberating. Join us for that next time. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to read blog posts from Amy, Carl, and Todd. So we hope to listen to you next time. Check out our – oh, I messed that up. We're you did. You messed that up. We hope to listen to you next time. <laughs> Just can't get the staff. That's why women shouldn't be ordained. You know? so. <laughs> I bet Gloria Furman would not have knocked You're it right. up in that She's way. She's a much she better She would not have made that mistake. Of course, they probably give her Gloria better coffee, there, so that call. helps. <laughs> Gift baskets. All right, hold on. Wait. Gloria, please, we need Can you. Can I just pick up with <laughs> – I disagree, with next time. I disagree with him. I disagree with him. I think he's wrong. Yeah. You want Nancy Guthrie, I know. That's the, uh, well, I can understand that. Or Beth Moore, even. Oh, my. Now, she would make the program very interesting. Well, she would. <laughs> she would probably be able to get you guys a little trip, though, before each recording session exactly. on the beach. Exactly. Be, be alone with the Lord. Yeah. Yep. Virginia Beach for a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, wait. Can I just pick up with, so stay tuned for next time. Check out our website. Yeah, okay. probably. We'll see how good Aaron is. <laughs> I think we've got, we'll we've the got, whole we've got thing. our outtake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do whatever you want, Amy. All right, I'm sending Aaron an email. Dro- drop the F-bomb. Hey. <laughs> we got our outtake for this episode. Oh, <laughs> All right, so everybody be quiet. Oh, that was power. That was powerful.